Now on behalf of Alexander Graham Bell and the genius of his discovery, we're fortunately connected with Mrs. Mercurio's favorite son, Paul Mercurio, one of my favorite comics I've worked with over the years. God bless you, Paul Mercurio. Hello. Hey, it's great to be on with you, Round Guy. How you doing, buddy? I missed you. I'm tickled to talk with you, uh, and I know you are born, raised in the great city. So nice, they named it twice. We're talking to you in New York City, and I had the good fortune a week or two ago of spinning the dial on my TV before I went to bed, and I saw Stephen Colbert had a guest coming on by the name of Paul Mercurio. I said, there can't be two of these guys. I said, I'm going to leave it right here and see my buddy Paul Mercurio. And sure enough, he brought you out. You had a killer set. He brought you over to the uh, the dais there, and you sat and talked. Yep. And I was tickled to see you. Tell us about what it's like to be on a big TV late show like Stephen Colbert. Well, listen, I'd like to, but I'm too big to talk to you, so I got to go. Uh, but it's been <laughs> great being on with you. <laughs> uh, uh. Hey, but, uh, it's, it was, it's fantastic. It's uh, my sixth time on, seventh time on the show, and it's always new every time you do it, and it's nerve-wracking. And, and you know, you're, you, you perform, and you have your act, and you do it a lot, and then you go, and and you know you do it a million times and you know it and then just before you go you go and I hope I don't forget lines because you're like a nervous wreck right sure and then once once you get that first laugh then you're like all right ladies who wants to sleep with me come on bring it on uh and and you know you say that in jest but I know you get laid more than anybody. I, um, yes, someone needs to tell my wife, because it's not happening in my bedroom, I'll tell you that. I don't know where. <laughs> That's because so, she's letting all these old ladies take care of that for her. <laughs> That's exactly me. She's, uh, she knows how to manage things. Uh, no, it was great. And then I got to sit down with, uh, what I like, kind of, it was old school, kind of like Carson talk show, like, down after you do your set, you don't just come out and do your set. And, um, you know, you sit down and I, at the desk with Steven and told the story, you know, he and I are friends and we work together going back to the Daily Show together and the Colbert Report. So, and I sat down and uh, told him how I got Paul McCartney on my podcast, which was like a really fun story. Did I ever tell you that story? I don't know if I ever told you. Well, no, I, I heard you telling Stephen Colbert and, and I just sat bolt upright in my chair at that because... My bucket list is to meet a beetle, and that's never happened. And I'm, I've only got a 50-50 chance of it now. And there you are talking about running into him in the hallway, and then him being a guest on your podcast. Yeah, it was crazy. I was uh, he was on the Colbert Report, and uh, he was a guest on the Colbert Report, and I was working on the Colbert Report, and I'm running. Well, I was performing on it actually that day, and I was running to get into the studio, and in the hallway all alone after rehearsal before we start taping is Paul McCartney, like all alone in the hallway, just leaning up against the wall with no handlers, no security, not a parrot on his shoulder, nothing. And he's just staring up at the ceiling, chewing gum, like he's waiting for a bus. And he's all alone. 
and you know you've been in this business, you've met a lot of celebrities, you're a celebrity yourself, you like you have handlers, you have managers, you yourself, you have many security men around you whenever you go out. You know Steve, you know how Sure. And uh and I round the corner and I see Paul McCartney and my whole world slows down. It's like, Oh my god, it's Paul McCartney and I'm like, Should I say hi? Should I not say hi? And then I'm like, you know what? He's alone in a hallway without security. He's like a gazelle on the Serengeti Plains. I'm a lion. I'm going to pounce, right? So, well, yeah, when so, are you going to have that chance again? Exactly. And that's, that's exactly what I said. So I just go over and say, I'm honored to meet you. And so excited to see, see your performance. Huge fan. And I walk away. That's all I say. And he goes, wait, come back. And I'm like, what? What do you want? I'm busy. No. Uh, <laughs> he goes, what's your name? I go, Paul. He goes, oh, Paul, that's a good name. I'm like, I'll do the joke, buddy, okay? You just play <laughs> play a little banjo there, okay, with the Beatles. I got this. No, he goes, what are you doing? Well, I'm a stand-up fan. He goes, oh, I like to stand up. because you got a kid? Yeah, I got a kid. You tour a lot? Yeah, it's hard. So five, ten minutes go by. I'm talking to Paul McCartney like I'm talking to you. Just a regular conversation. On the outside, I'm really smooth. I'm like, hey, I'm talking to Paul McCartney. On the inside, I'm, like, I'm talking to Paul McCartney. I was like, out of my Right, mind. right. Those girls at Shea Stadium, you know, when they play. So, and as I'm talking to him, I'm getting closer and closer to his face because he's Paul McCartney, and I'm, he looks amazing. And I'm checking him out, like, like to the point where I was so close he couldn't. He was up against the wall. He couldn't lean backwards any farther. And I was like, right in his face. I was like those chimps, like when they, you know when they clean fleas off their mates. I could have cleaned like ticks off his eyes. That's how close I was. Right. Uh, so, then, uh, so then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna just. And then this thought pops into my head. Paul McCartney should do my podcast. That's what I say to myself because I'm like, I, I, I don't know how to do music. I'm not a musician. I'm always amazed how these guys do it. So I say to him, I know this is crazy, but I'd love to talk about how you make music. Would you do my podcast? He goes, yeah, sure. Just like that. Just like that. Now, he threw me because I thought, you know, it's like when you, there's that hot girl, a hot guy you want to ask out. They're way above your pay grade. You're like, you know what? I'm going to ask him out. They're going to say no. Uh, but at least I'll know on my deathbed. I asked him out. He said to say sure. yes. And you don't have a plan. Well, that was me because he said yes. And he completely threw me. And he goes, how would we do it? And I'm not making this up. See, I, this is how I sounded. He went, how would we do it? And I went, ah, ah. And I'm like rubbing myself like Rain Man. Like I had a mental uh. disorder. And I'm, and I'm shaking and I'm sweating. I'm like, ah, ah. I'll come to London. And he goes, we're in a room in New York together. Why would you come to London? And I go, and then he goes, is it easy to do? And I go, yeah. And I actually said to Paul McCartney, I go, yeah, it's really easy. I don't want to be a bother. You could do it on your phone naked from your toilet. I'm like, what am I saying? Right. So, so, so now I'm like, I got to get out of here before I screw this up. So I say to him, I'll leave you alone because good luck on the show tonight. And I will get with your assistant and we'll set something up. And this is the mind blow right here. He goes, no, no, you and I will do it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you and I will exchange phone numbers because if we try to do it through them, they're going to make it too complicated. So we're going to exchange phone numbers. And when I'm ready, you got to be ready to do it. I'm going to call you. So, so now I'm handing my phone number to Paul McCartney. He's handing me his. He does the show, amazing performance. I'm late now. I'm running to get to another show. My phone rings, and I don't recognize the number, and I let it ring the voicemail, and this is the message on my phone. Check this out. Hi, Paul. It's Paul McCartney here. Uh, I'm going to ring you back in five minutes to do the podcast thing. 
I've got some time now. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of time. So if you're there at five minutes time, you caught me. Okay, bye. Wait, that was the greatest impression of Paul McCartney I've ever heard you do. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait till you hear my John Lennon impression. Hang on a second. It's called the podcast is called Inside Out with Paul Mercurio. Stephen Colbert is on it. Kevin Costner, uh, 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 Jay Leno, uh, Kira Cedric, a whole bunch of got a bunch is of. There, is the, I, this is probably too much to add. Have you ever had the round guy from Des Moines on that oh, podcast? I, I'm, I am going to have him on. I, I got to see if I can get this. Oh, you couldn't get him. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can have you on because you're a Yankee fan and I'm a Red Sox fan. And that's and the, you're uh, from you know. New York City. That's so. No, well, I live in. Well, so I wrong. Have, but I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. So as a kid, that's where I grew up. So what you when you're a kid, that's your that's your team. And I stuck with my team. And now. You guys have Andrew Benatendi, and we don't have him. We just traded. We just got. But we didn't resign Bogarts. We got rid of Mukhtar. It's like we're like a waste. Okay. Well, listen. I, you know, a buddy of mine used to coach for the Red Sox, so I kind of got over that rivalry thing, and so I'm cool with that. I, I'll bust your balls here and there, but but I'm, I'm okay with you being a Red Sox guy. But let's get back to. Paul McCartney, though. Let's finish that before we antagonize each other about our baseball (laughs) loyalties. All right? Yeah, yeah. So you call Paul McCartney back. Well, I I first had to call him back and call him because I lied to him. I didn't have anything set up. So you're in this business and you know how it works. So I had to call my studio that was producing my podcast and say, I need a recording line. Paul McCartney's going to do my podcast. There was like some young intern who like was like couldn't care less, and he goes, uh, "Hold on a second. And he comes back on the line. He goes, uh, "Yeah, we don't have a recording line right now. There's somebody in the studio tomorrow." And I, I started screaming. I went, "Did you not hear me?" I said, "I have Paul McCartney." I said, "Unless, unless Jesus Christ or or John Lennon are in that studio, you get them out right now and get me a line." <laughs> Uh, yeah. There and, you uh, go. And then I, and then when I re- retrieved the message on my phone, I was actually in the middle of Manhattan on the street corner. And if you saw me from afar, you would have thought I was one of these unfortunate people that, you know, kind of have mental problems and they talk to themselves in the head, in their head, right? Because I, all you saw me do is I'm, I'm standing there with the phone to my ear and then I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. And then all of a sudden you see me go, are you kidding me? This is bullshit. <laughs> What an asshole I am, and I'm screaming, <laughs> just randomly screaming on the street corner that I screened a, Paul, a call from Paul McCartney. And so then I had to call him and stall him for like an hour and a half until I got Really? Started. Yeah, I kept calling him back and going, I need five more minutes. He goes, okay, you're going to lose me. I need five more minutes. So I'm calling him and I'm stalling the most influential musician in the last century because I needed to get a line set up. It was like a, it was a mess. It was crazy. Because the kid at, at the studio didn't even know who Paul McCartney was. <laughs> he didn't even know. He said, you got to, he, he, I said, Paul McCartney, and he went like this, who? And so when he said that to me, I wanted to fly to Los Angeles and choke him. Like that's, I, was, like, I was literally just going to pay money to fly out there to just choke the kid. Oh, uh, so, I don't blame you. 
And, uh, Nor and would so, anybody else. I don't think a jury would have convicted you. No, <laughs> exactly. It would have been like your honor. So what did you and Paul McCartney talk about? Obviously, you finally made connections, and and yeah. how did yeah. how did it go? Well, he asked a lot about you, and I was like, well, "Listen, this isn't about round guy right now. This is about." We dated me. briefly, and, and it you know <laughs> it, it ended it ended sadly, but but uh, yeah. <laughs> We, you know, it's funny because when I finally got him on the phone, he goes, hold on one second. If somebody else answers the phone and I go, okay, I'm ready to do it. He goes, Paul's in the bathroom. He'll be right out. So now I'm just thinking about Paul McCartney in the bathroom, like taking, taking a dump. I was like, he must be, he's probably brilliant. Even when he goes to the bathroom, like that's all I'm thinking. Right. So like, right. But you told him he could be naked sitting on the toilet and you still toilet. do it. So, <laughs> right. So he's, you know, you know, dropping a deuce and then he's going to get on the phone with me. And, uh, we talked about just making music. I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to ask him about like you know if he hated Yoko or any of that stuff. I just asked him, you know, like you know, like one of the things I said to him was, um, you know, when you guys were young, like twenty twenty two, you're on top of the world. You're making these amazing albums, but you would change. You know, fans when fans love somebody, whether it's music or whatever, they like artists to do the same thing over and over again. And when artists deviate too far from what they normally do, they lose their fans. I said, how did you guys have the guts to like change your sound so radically from album to album and not worry about losing your fans? He goes, he goes, well, he goes, yeah, that's a good question. He goes, no one ever asked me that, but I think just basically we just followed what we wanted to do. You know, we do something and then, you know, we did that. Let's move on to the next thing. And, you know, he goes, and the fans never left us. And so, um, and then he, he talked about, like, touring when they were young and, you know, sleeping in a van when they had no money and someone broke a window and they they had one night they had to sleep with a broken window in a van. It was cold in, in England somewhere and he, he called it a beetle sandwich. They would all, like, sleep side by side in the van. like, And so he was getting this really cool inside early look at the Beatles and, their writing process and everything it was really cool. It was really, yeah. So it was just about like the art of it, you know? And, um, and then I said, you know, what was it like being married to a woman with one leg? I did say that. And then he hung up and, uh, uh you know, uh, <laughs> and, and he said, uh, I would, uh, tell her to hop in when we were <laughs> driving somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so we, we really just covered, you know, um, you know, we talked about like what it was like early on working in Germany and doing all of those shows back to back to back and how exhausting it was, but how thrilled they were to be like working for 50 bucks a night. Like, it's so crazy to hear. And you can, when you hear him talk about it, you can still hear the fondness he has for it for those early days, you know? Amazing. Did you ask him at, at the age of like 80 how he, it, he still does like a three-hour concert? How does this guy do that? You know, it's so funny. I did because I saw him at Fenway Park, and I watched him, and he did, oh, he did just about three hours. And I didn't know. You know, you're a performer. We're up there. We're telling jokes. We have a bottle of water, glass of water or something see this guy take a drink of water for two and a half hours like it was crazy like i did like his voice sounded great um you know you know he said that he just he thinks being a vegan you know like that's probably been part of it uh a lot of cocaine uh that was the other part of it no yeah. sure uh, yeah. yeah uh i just i don't know i mean i good genes but like 
you know, he said he makes sure that when he's got a tour coming up, he starts to get himself physically ready for it, you know, kind of exercise more, stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he, uh, he has cloned himself. So there's like six or eight of him that they there's, use. Okay, right, right. I think the, the band Kiss is getting ready to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. So, so now, if you were to see him doing a tour somewhere, you could go to the venue, get his security people, say, hey, it's, uh, tell Paul that it's Paul, and, and they'll let you right in, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a huge name. And then, and then, and then they slap some handcuffs on. Me. No, no, you don't understand. Here, listen, listen to this voice message on my phone. Right? Yeah. No, I'm Paul. I'm Paul. You know who I am? That's funny. But all right, look. So let's move on from you and your your uh, bromance with Paul McCartney. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about comedy. Let's talk a little bit about. How often you were in the studio with Lou and Heather and I and performing at the Des Moines Funny Bone. Yeah. And then a week from today, that's happening again. So let's talk about how you're ready within one week to drop everything, fly to Des Moines and hang out. And we're going to get, we're going to work this out. So we have lunch and I come to the show and see it because you're one of my favorite comics, not just uh, from being on stage, but one of the nicest guys, one of the coolest guys to hang out with, as we did back in the day, and, and it's been so long since we have. So walk us through touring now, your your appearance in Des Moines a week from today, and, and so what are the ramifications? I know, I, I'm not sure if if they're, you know, they're selling out now or they allow the, the, the venue to be sold out or what, yeah. what's the status of comedy now, Paul? Well, you know, we, uh, well, first of all, like my favorite show to go on was with you guys because like just, it was like not going on show. It was like, you know, just, you know, like we're doing now, just hanging out, talking with a friend, you know, and, uh, right, right. and I love Des Moines. I mean, I love Des Moines. I love going to Omaha to the funny, funny ball there. I worked there too a lot. And, you know, the crowds, they just get it. And, um, and just, you're so good. I mean, the three of you together were just so good because you all had there's something different than you brought to it. And, um, you, but you like, you're like a whole other level because you're a comedian too. And you get it, you get the comedy thing. Sometimes you work radio and guys aren't like, you know, they don't, they're not comics. So they don't, they don't quite get the comedy part of it. But like, I, I could sit there and just let you, you would just, you just make me laugh. So it was just like, so it's been great to be on with you. And you're so funny. And, in, and anybody who hasn't seen you should see you live because you just take a man to the room. And, and then you, you, you did one of my shows. I think you hosted one of my, a couple of times you hosted when I was there. At least this oh, absolutely. Show. I do. I remember it vividly. Yeah. And, um, and I, I enjoyed it. Let me tell you this. I, and I don't mean to interrupt, but too late. Uh, uh, <laughs> Willie Farrell, who is a, a tremendous talent and, yeah. and a, a quality headliner all over the country, much like yourself, and lives in Des Moines. And so I've worked with him um, no fewer than a million times. And and uh, he likes to play the crowd, right? Mm. But mm. but uh, I told him this once, and he got pissed off at me. And and uh, but I I said to him, I said, Willie, I said you like to go to the 
people in front of the stage and banter and, and work the crowd. I said, Paul Mercurio takes it to, to that to an entirely different level. You will actually leave the stage and walk around the entire showroom and bring, have the house lights brought up, and then there you are, where people that sit up front, they know there's the potential. They might get singled out and talked to. Yeah. But somebody that, that thinks they're going to avoid that, they come to your show and they go, well, we're going to sit way in the back. <laughs> well, they don't realize, but they're just as susceptible to having you come in and banter with them as, 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 as much as somebody sitting in the front row. And I yep. told William, I said, Paul, I said, we'll go throughout the entire room and banter with the crowd and have complete uh, attention focused on him and the person he's talking to and the laughter is, is just you know everybody's just hysterical and and where did that happen where because any comic will say oh you know to the person in the front row oh hey buddy what's your name yeah where do you work what do you do and, but, yeah no it's a great seldom question. do I see anybody leave the stage to go through the entire room <laughs> right well I decided, I, I don't know, at all, you know, the best stuff just happens when you don't plan it. And so I started talking to the audience. I've always liked it. It was always weird for me to just go on stage and start jumping and launching as a joke. And so, because you're just in this, and in, in comedy's the only thing, you know, unlike acting where you got to stick to your lines, there's no rules for comedy, right? I can come out and start talking to people. And I'm not talking to people to do crowd work, like, so that, and for anybody who doesn't know what crowd work is, is listening, it's like, hey, I'm going to start talking to you about your hat but I don't really care about your hat. I'm just talking about your hat because I have a joke about hats and I want to pretend like I'm improvising a joke off of talking to you about hats. And I hate that kind of stuff because it feels fake to me. I just want to talk to people because sometimes I'm just stuck in my hotel room all day. I haven't talked to anybody and these are the first people I get to meet and talk to. So that's literally how it started. And then okay. I started to talk to people and I've been getting, I was getting these amazing stories. And then I started to realize like, you know, there's somebody back there, and I'm like, why do I have to stay on stage? So I just would walk off stage, and I'd go in the back. I think it started in one club one time, because there was somebody who had this really interesting look, and I kept saying to myself, well, they're back there, and I can't talk to them, and I'm like, shit, well, why can't I? So I just got off stage, and I had to turn the house lights up, and it turned the whole room into something else, and what I want to do is I don't want it to feel like a show. I want it to feel like we're hanging out in somebody's giant basement, talking to each other and I'm the guy leading it with the jokes and the funny and the stories right, right. that are amazing. And so the basis, I did an off Broadway, a Broadway show called permission to speak, which I'm going to bring back. We had to close it because of COVID and it's a theater show. And the premise of the show is if we talk, we connect. And if we can't, we have more in common. Think. And um, the show is based on what you just described that I do in my shows, which is, People just telling stories from their lives because I, I don't, I'll ask three or four questions and I'll be patient enough not to try to get a laugh right away. And, and then eventually you're going to get something amazing from people. Like I said to this woman one time at a club, I go, what's your name? She goes, Nydia. I go, Lydia with an L? She goes, no, Nydia with an N. I go, that's a unique name. How'd you get that name? That's all I said to her. She goes, well, my father was pregnant with my, uh, with, uh, got my mother pregnant with me. And at the same time, he was having an affair with a woman, and he named me after the woman he was having an affair with. <laughs> and the place goes crazy, right? 
And like, you can't, you know, you and I could sit in a room. We couldn't write that all day. We'd say nobody would believe that if we wrote that as a joke. Or I had a guy one time, I go, what's your name? He's kind of a tough guy. He goes, uh, it was John. I go, what's the matter? He goes, uh, I just broke up with my girlfriend. I go, why? He goes, because uh, uh, she wouldn't listen to me. I go, what happened? He goes, well, I told her, I told her not to shoplift at CVS, and she shoplifted at CVS and got arrested. I go, oh, you're upset she was shoplifting? He goes, oh, no, I taught her how to shoplift. He goes, I've been shoplifting my whole life. He goes, he goes, but I told her not to shoplift at CVS because that's a waste. If you're going to shoplift, shoplift sacks or somewhere nice where you can get nice stuff, and she wouldn't listen to me. So I brought, he, he was upset with her because she shoplifted at the wrong place. Not that she shoplifted. Okay. And that's why I talk to people because that stuff, that's real life. And those people are out there. You know, uh, I had a couple 76, 77 years old. They just got married two years ago. How did you meet? They met on a website. I go, oh, match? They go, no, an S&M website. They were both into S and M. Yes, uh, and they look—they look like your grandmother and grandfather. Okay, so oh god, so, so it's just been so it's become people expect it, and I like doing it, and I do want to have them leave feeling like they can see and hear. They've seen maybe something a little different because not the kind of like crowd work stuff or or like you know Rickles, who I love as a comic, but like it's not Rickles where I'm just making fun of somebody or their look or their, what they're wearing or whatever. These are like just real conversations that, because everybody has a story. Everybody has something interesting to say in their life. It's just sure. my job to get it out. And if, so that's if, you didn't, if you didn't leave the stage to traverse the showroom and find those people, you would have missed out on that. On that's gold. That's gold. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it right, so, the whole room but let together. me ask you this, Paul. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. know we got to let you go here uh, uh, fairly quick. But uh, speak to what the COVID has done, and then more so than that, this politically correct uh, environment oh, yeah. that is so prominent now. Yeah, and where has where has that gone to? What is what has that done? That if anything, change your approach to comedy and your act? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, uh, first of all, COVID thing, you know, I, I you know, it's obviously every turn, everybody's world upside down and is for comedy. I mean, you know, that's how you make your living in front of people screaming and laughing with spit coming out of their mouth. So it couldn't be the worst. <laughs> it could have been the worst thing for comedy, right? Like live comedy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, and I got it in 2020 at a comedy club. It's not this club, a different club. And like, nobody's wearing masks and all that other stuff. And, um, and, you know, and, uh, I, I'm in a long hauler from it. I've been tired from it, you know, uh, you know, inflammation, um, you know, annoying. Well, my wife says, it's not really COVID. I'm just annoying as a human being. And, uh, and my dog finds me annoying, by the way, my dog who has a weak sphincter, Daisy, I have to give her a pill like twice a day because she gets like nervous and then she just pees anywhere. Like she finds me annoying and, and, and I can't yell. I'm Italian and I yell, but I can't yell around the house because Daisy gets upset. It's great. You come to my house. It looks like an assisted living facility. There's like wee pads everywhere. There's just wee pads, desitin and Bengay. That's what it smells like. That's it. Right. <laughs> and, and, and basically like you can't. And, and so the dog finds me annoying. So whenever I walk into the room, Okay, my dog gives me a dirty look and gets up and she walks into the other room like immediately, right? 
I'm not making this up. And my wife's like, well, she finds your voice annoying. I'm like, what do I, do I sound like a vacuum cleaner? What are you talking about? She finds me annoying. So I got COVID and it freaked me out because it's the first time modern medicine doesn't, didn't have an answer for what was ailing you, right? Like I went into the doctor because, you know, there was no history with it yet. And I'm saying to the doctor, like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I got that. And, and you could say anything at that point, And it was all plausible. It was all believable. Like I was like, I was, I remember my doctor had a clipboard. And I'm like, she goes, well, what's going on with you? I go, well, I got, I'm, I lost my sense of taste and smell. Yes, we've heard that. And I got the, I'm tired all the time. Yes, we've heard that. I got, I got inflammation of the joints. Yes, we've heard that. You could say anything at that point. You could say every Tuesday, frogs crawl out of my ass. Yes, we heard that. Are they, are they blue frogs or they're red frogs? If they're red frogs, it's fine. If they're blue frogs, then you got a problem, right? And, and so, and then I'm living in New York City, and that place shut down like everything. But when that city shuts down, it freaks you out because it feels like it feels like the world stops, like a twilight zone because everything's so quiet. You know, you've been you're in New York, you know, right? And it freaked me out. And you don't realize how much you like the noise until it's gone because the noise makes you feel like things are normal. And it was right, not normal. Right. And I got so freaked out. And I wanted things after a few months of that get back to normal i just went out i bought a jackhammer and i started jackhammering around new york city for no reason at all just and then but then i realized and you would appreciate this okay being a new york guy then this is when i realized new york was coming back two cab drivers get in a fight over a parking spot so they block the street they both get out of their cabs they're standing there they got their masks on this is still in the middle of COVID. They start fist fighting, right? They get really close to each other and they're swinging. And then one of the guys you could tell realized in his head, "Ooh, I'm supposed to social distance six feet. So he backs up, but he keeps swinging as he's backing up. So it was like, he was like, it was like watching two. And then he'd run toward the guy swinging. And then he'd back up six feet. It was like watching like two potato rolls fight. It was like, <laughs> and then he'd back up. <laughs> and, and so, and so, you know, it, it, started it just it just changed New York you know and just everything got weird and like and I started trying to do some work around the around the house and I got so bored and so like so I needed screws like so I ordered these screws on Amazon these stainless steel screws that I was doing right this is the middle of COVID but I had not like my days like everybody you're just kind of stuck inside this is how bored I got I started tracking the shipment of screws on Amazon like every three out like an old 90-year-old man, like, why are my screws in St. Louis? Ah, what is going on? Ah. <laughs> so so it, it just became, it just became like, you know, I got to get out of this. And then I started to go back on the road. But then as things, part of that is, like you said, the politically correct thing. And, and I think part of the reason their stand-ups exist is for a time when it is too politically correct. I do think you need to have those voices that are saying the things that other people are thinking that people don't want to say. I believe in political correctness. I just think it's gone too far sometimes and the pendulum has to get back into the middle somewhere, right? Like it seems like like we're at a point it feels like people are trying to catch people like in situations and read into things to kind of accuse people of not being politically correct. And I think it's going to stop. Like my wife and I were walking a dog in Central Park and it's a law. You're supposed to have your dog on a leash in Central Park, which did. And this guy's dog, a big dog, uh, scaring people. And, uh, you know, 
kids are around and no leash. The guy dog's not on a leash, just running free, scaring people. And my wife just said to the guy very nicely, you know, so, so your dog, it really should be on a leash. Uh, it's the law. And the guy goes like this, sir. He goes, why? Because it's a pit bull? Like implying that we were like racist toward pit bulls. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, no, because it's got a baby in its mouth. That's why. Okay. Right. Because <laughs> it has yeah. tattoos and it's smoking Chesterfield. It's got a prison <laughs> Now you. Yeah, you that's know, right, buddy. Exactly. And then the other thing is you can't do things now innocently that you could do at a different time in our culture, right? And you were, you, I'm sure, remember this. Every Halloween, my parents would dress me as a hobo. That's what they called it, remember? They, they, uh-huh. give, you daddy's old, they give you daddy's old clothes. They put some, like, you know, brown shoe polish on your face to look like a beard, and they send you out because we didn't have money for an costume. We couldn't do that now because people would be outraged because a hobo is a homeless person, and they'd be like, that's offense to homeless people. Which I get, and if you think about it, it was kind of screwed up. Because think about it, our parents dressed us as homeless people and then sent us out onto the streets at night to collect free food in front of real homeless people, all right? <laughs> and it sucks. They're in line the irony. Exactly. Every house. I never got candy. I got baked beans and a harmonica. That was it. That was it. Every house. So, uh, so it's just been, it's, so I just keep pushing back. So, uh, you know, Paul Mercurio, one of my favorite comics, a regular on Stephen Colbert and Letterman when he was on, and all of these, and a good friend of Paul McCartney's, <laughs> is going to be in Des Moines at the Funny Bone one week from today for one show Friday, two shows Saturday. Am I right? December 16th and 17th. You got it, buddy. And, Des Moines and uh, a week from today, we're going to meet for lunch. Uh, or a late lunch prior to the show, I'm going to see your show uh, Friday night, and we're going to hang out. What do you think? All right. I'm, uh, I'm loving it. Sounding good. Now, I'm no Paul great. McCartney, but, you know, in Des Moines, I'm still a big deal. You I know, when you say round guy in Des Moines, they go, who? What? <laughs> no, they, they usually say, wait, he owes me money. That's yeah, there you say. go. There you go. <laughs> Well, Paul, listen, I I could go on for hours with you. Uh, promise me we're going to hook up this weekend, and then in the future we'll talk maybe a little more often. Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it more regularly, and uh, I'll have you guys on, I, I would, you come on my podcast, too. And we'll do that. I too. would be honored and would love to do so. And you need to come to New York and come uh, get your tickets to the Late Show. We'll go around. We'll have a nice hot pastrami sandwich. Big time New York City pastrami sandwich, a little cheesecake. We'll what, do if, it up. what if I said let's go to Yankee Stadium? Okay, well now let's not get let's not get crazy. You know what I'm saying? I can't. <laughs> so Are you even allowed there? In Yankee Stadium, it's annoying to like a whole other level. I don't even know if I can deal with you at that point. I'd right. go. I'd be I'm there. there. I, I, listen, I like baseball. I, I would go. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to hop off here. All right. Any last minute things you want to tell our listeners? We got like four of them. Uh, okay. Well, listen, John, Happy, Sarah, and William, listen to me. Yeah. Uh, so uh, go to my, go to uh, any, where every podcast are everywhere now. So it's Inside Out with Paul Mercurio is my podcast. A lot of cool people on there. And I just want folks to come out and see me in Des Moines, man. It's been a couple of years because of COVID since I've been back. So uh, 
just want to you know bring your family, bring the bring your grandparents, bring your pets. Doesn't matter. We're gonna make them all part of the show. So December sixteenth to seventeenth. Yeah, Paul is good with dogs. They like his voice. So I'm yes, and I'm I'm a prop comic too now. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Perfect. I wear a a toilet seat around my. It's an amazing show. (laughs) Uh, 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 I love you, man. Thanks for taking some time to visit with us, and we're gonna see you next week. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, brother. I love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye.